Have you made the discovery yet that prayer is difficult? Raise your hand if you figured that one out. Prayer's tough. There's a mystery to it, and it's hard. And because of that, many of us uh, have not really progressed in our prayer life. Some people haven't got very far beyond God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. Nothing wrong with that prayer. It's a legitimate prayer. But, but many have not even gotten far beyond that level of prayer. Well, what if I told you that prayer is inextricably linked to the doctrine of the Trinity? And that understanding how prayer works in relation to our triune God is the secret to growth in your prayer life. I want to show you how prayer and the doctrine of the Trinity relate to one another as a motivation and and also as a way for us to kind of understand how prayer works even a little bit better. And so as we think about that, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 This summer, we are taking time to study the doctrine of the Trinity during our summer sermon series. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the Trinity and prayer. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. I'd like to ask you this morning, if you're physically able, to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Now, we're parachuting right into the middle of a passage. And I don't usually like doing that, but we're going to read verse 18, and I'll refer back to some previous verses as the sermon progresses. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18, the Bible says, for through him, speaking of Jesus, for through him we, that's speaking of Jews and Gentiles, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we need you. If this moment is going to have any profit spiritually, eternally, we need you. And so would you just draw near as your word goes forth. Lord, by the power of your spirit, would you anoint me as I preach? Give me the words you want me to communicate. And would you anoint the hearers that your word may be applied to our heart, that your word may may grip our hearts. And would you give us the wherewithal, the inclination to respond to what you show us. So Lord, just have your way in our midst. You give us the grace to just lift up the mighty name of Jesus in this place. And we'll thank you and praise you for that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, as I said, we are working through some sermons related to the doctrine of the Trinity. And I want to just remind you of what I call our working definition of the Trinity. We've shared this every week, and this definition helps you to understand what we mean when we say Trinity. So here's our working definition. The Bible teaches there is one true God in essence and nature 
eternally existing in three co-equal persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's what we mean when we say Trinity. One God in essence and nature existing in three co-equal, co-eternal persons. And each of those persons are are related to our prayer lives. And I want you to see that. And what I've done is I've given you kind of a an overarching statement about prayer and the Trinity, just kind of begin our discussion. And we'll unpack the statements as we walk through the sermon. But here's the, here's the, the thought I want you to, 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 um, to grasp right at the beginning of the sermon. The general pattern of Scripture is to pray to the Father through the Son in the power of the Spirit. That's what we saw in Ephesians 2.18. We come to the Father through the Son in or by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you look at the ebb and flow of Scripture's teaching on prayer, that is the general sense of what prayer is. Prayer is coming to the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit. I like the way John Bunyan says that prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit. Theologian Fred Sanders calls this praying with the grain of Scripture. If you follow the, the outline of Scripture, you see that we are praying to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. In other words, prayer has a built-in logic of mediation. When we pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, we are reminding ourselves that we can't come to God on our own terms. We are reminding ourselves that we must have a mediator for us to have that kind of relationship with God whereby we can come to him with our needs and our requests. There's a, there's a built-in logic of mediation in prayer. Or in other words, prayer is gospel-centered. Every time we pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, we are reminding ourselves of the wonderful, life-changing, glorious truths of the gospel. And so we, we want to follow the grain of prayer. We want to pray with the grain of Scripture, not against the grain of Scripture. So keeping that in mind, how are we to understand this Trinitarian pattern of prayer? We're going to unpack Ephesians 2.18 and unpack these ideas so we understand prayer better and hopefully are motivated to pray more. So let's just kind of walk through this. First of all, I want you to see that the Son makes prayer possible. So think about the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, We need to understand the Son makes prayer possible. Over in Ephesians 2.18, we read, For through Him we have access. Through Christ we have access to the Father. And so, here's what we learn from that. Jesus shed His blood on the cross so that you and I might have access to God. Now, to kind of show you this in context, I want you to back up in Ephesians 2 with me, 2 verse 11. Ephesians 2 verse 11 We see this idea emerge in this passage. The Bible says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, listen, he's talking to the church in Ephesus, the Christians there in that city, but this also can be your spiritual biography because before you met Christ, you were without God and without hope in the world. May not have even realized it, but you were without God and without hope in the world. But look what he says next. But now 
in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And if you are a Christian today, if you're born again, that is your story. Once you were far off, but because of what Jesus Christ has done, because he went to the cross and shed his blood, you have been brought near to God. Isn't that glorious? And he goes on to say, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and is broken down in his in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And so the Bible says that Jesus Christ died to tear down the boundary or the wall of impurity between us and a holy God. And Jesus Christ also died to bring people together from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different languages, different socioeconomic levels, and to make one body that could come to the Father and worship him together. This speaks of the church. And it says that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, through his death on the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now look in verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access. And so verses 11 through 17 explain to us how Jesus Christ gave us access to the Father. Jesus Christ left the unceasing worship of heaven. Jesus Christ has always existed from eternity past, and he left the splendor and glory of heaven and came to this earth taking on humanity in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He was born of Mary. He lived a perfect, matchless life. He never sinned. He never thought a wrong thought. He never said a wrong word. He never performed a wrong deed. And of his own volition, Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, went to the cross, and on the cross, he took all of your sin and all of my sin on himself, and on the cross, he became sin for us, and on the cross, the wrath of God that you and I deserve was poured out from God the Father onto God the Son, and Jesus Christ took the wrath of God in our place. He became our propitiatory sacrifice. He died for our sins. He shed his blood. And he was buried after he died on the cross. And early on the third day, he rose from the dead, defeating death itself. And so because of Jesus Christ, because of his finished work, because of what he has done, he has defeated sin, he has defeated death. And if you embrace him as your personal Lord and Savior, his shed blood will be applied to your spiritual account. Your sins will be washed away. And now there's no longer a barrier between you and God. You can be reconciled to God, brought into a personal relationship with him. That's good news. Jesus Christ shed his blood. Jesus Christ rose from the dead so that you and I might have access to the Father. Jesus Christ made prayer possible. It's one of the reasons we pray in Jesus' name. We pray in Jesus' name because the Bible tells us to. But when we pray in Jesus' name, we are reminding ourselves, listen, we're reminding ourselves, I'm not coming to God on my own merit. I'm not coming to God because I deserve a hearing. The only reason that I can come into the presence of God is because Jesus Christ died for my sins. And my sins are now washed away and they're buried in a sea of forgetfulness. And because of that, I can now have a relationship with a holy God. I don't come in Wade's name when I pray. I come in the name of Jesus who died for me. I like what the theologian Fred Sanders says, Christian prayers offered under this sign, not by my authority according to my fitness or deserving of a hearing, but on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ, I approach God. And so Jesus makes prayer possible. And listen to me, God wants us to be confident in our access. 
He wants us to know that we have access to him because of the finished work of Jesus. He wants to be confident in that. Look with me in, a, in the book of Hebrews, a beautiful passage of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Actually, verse 14. The Bible says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. So we cannot come to God in our own in our own strength or person, because we're sinners. But we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who went before us, and he shed his own blood so that he could wash away our sins and bring us into the presence of God, the the holy of holies, if you will. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In other words, Jesus Christ lived as the God-man on this earth, fully God fully human. Jesus Christ gets it. He understands that life is hard. He understands the frailty of humanity. He understands the the power of the enemy's temptations, yet without sin. He understands that life is hard. He understands a broken heart. He understands what tears feel like as they stream down the cheek. He gets it. He's, He's been there, done that. And so the one that we come to as our high priest, he flat understands what you're going through. That's good news, isn't it? And then it says, look in the next verse, let us then, because we have a high priest who understands us, let us then with confidence, everyone say confidence, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of Need Because Jesus Christ has made prayer available, because God, uh, the Son, has given you access to God the Father, take advantage of that access. Draw near to God. Go to Him in prayer. Go to His throne of grace so you can find mercy and help in times of need. You know, the nation of Israel, when they lived under the sacrificial system, could only send one person one time a year into the Holy of Holies, which signified the presence of God. The high priest could go on the Day of Atonement one time a year with the blood of animals for his own sin and for the sins of the people of Israel. Do you know what the writer of Hebrews is saying here? He's saying that because of Jesus, because of him shedding his blood for us, we can now, listen to this, we can go into the Holy of Holies any time we want. And it gets even better. We can stay as long as we want. Incredible. Because of Christ, we can go into the very presence of God anytime we want. In our vehicle, driving down the road, at our dining room table, at our desk at work, our desk at school. Anytime we want, we can go into the the prayer. By the way, they say prayer is banished from schools, not if Christians pray. You can sit there at your desk and call it to God, Amen. You can pray. You can take prayer right in that school with you. And so we can go into the Holy of Holies any time we want and stay as long as we want. What confidence we have that now you and I have access to God. Now these verses in Hebrews are powerful and I love them. They mean a lot to me. Early on in our marriage, Claire and I were newlyweds. We just moved to DeSoto County to start school. And from Memphis, from Florida, and we had some tough circumstances arise, and we were newlyweds, and it kind of, kind of, you know, 
took the breath out of us. We experienced these tough things and, and uh, were scared and anxious. And I'll never forget, uh, one day I, I walked in my little office in my apartment and I turned on my computer and I checked my email and there was an email for my brother. And there were no, no words in the email except for Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. I opened it up, and here's what I read. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. And that ministered to me. And so these verses are powerful. Jesus Christ makes prayer available. He makes prayer possible for you and for me. But here's the the second thing about prayer in the Trinity I want you to see. The Father invites us to come to him in prayer. So now that prayer is available, God is accessible, he he says, come to me and ask me for things. He invites us to pray. Back over in Ephesians uh, 2.18, it says, for through him we have access to who? Access, listen, to the Father. Now, because of Jesus, we are reconciled to God, and we are children of God, and we can call him Father. And the Father invites us to come to him. Now, when we come to God with our prayers, when we come to God with our requests, when we come to God with our needs, two things are happening. First of all, God answers our prayers according to his power. Look what it says over in Matthew chapter 7. Hold your place. In Ephesians, but look with me in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus is teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Tremendous prayer promise there. The one who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened So Jesus here is talking of the great potential and power of prayer. Now that prayer is available, come to God and ask. Ask him for things. And when you ask, you receive. There are things we don't receive that we would receive if we asked. That's what that verse says. That's prayer. Asking God to meet needs in our lives. And God, being God, answers our prayers according to his power. Now, there are certain prayer promises throughout the Bible that are really hard for me to wrap my mind and heart around. And, and there are a lot of times in my Christian life, I don't really know what to do with them. For example, example over in John 15, 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. That's the extraordinary promise, right? You pray in the name of Jesus and he answers that request. He gives it to you. And in my, you know, my, my, my brain, I'm thinking, well, what about this and what about that? And I'm trying to think through the, the nuts and bolts of prayer and just missing out on the simplicity of this great promise. Ask, receive. Ask in my name. He will give it to you. This is past week. I was in a, a hospital room praying for a, a, a child that was going through some very difficult things, and it looked really, really bleak. And I heard about this child through a friend, and I was able to go in and just meet the family. And I asked if I could have a word of prayer with him. And I, and I was praying fervently for this little boy. By the way, he, he's turned the corner, and things are going better. So praise the Lord for that. But I, I was praying fervently for this little boy, asking for God to heal him in the name of Jesus. I've never seen so many medications on a tower being given to one child. And, and it just looked really bleak, and the, the family was anxious, and the family was, was hurting. And, and I was praying. But even as I was praying, and I, I, this is Pastor Wade, okay? Confession time. 
Even as I was praying and asking God to heal him, I'm thinking, what if, you know, what if he doesn't take a turn for the better and, and uh, things go the wrong direction? And then, you know, how can I minister this? I was thinking, even as I pray, how can I minister this family and walk with him through this? And, and, and just thinking through all those things instead of just simply asking God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ just to heal the boy, which I did. And God worked. But have you ever found yourself struggling with those great prayer promises? You pray and you say, what if? You know, what if, he, what if it doesn't turn around? What if things don't go better? And we're trying to figure everything out instead of just resting on the promise. Ask and you'll receive. Ask in my name, it will be given to you. That's what Jesus says. Let God sort everything out, else out. You ask. Amen? You ask. Because God answers our prayers according to his power. The word access over in Ephesians 2.18 is an interesting word. It was used in ancient times uh, in ancient courts. If someone wanted to have an audience with the king or emperor and they were granted that audience, they would come before him and be presented to that king or emperor and they would have access to that king or emperor. The Bible says that through Jesus, Ephesians 2.18, we have access to God. In other words, listen to me. When you come to the God of the universe with your prayer needs and requests, you are coming to a king. There's an old hymn that's just beautiful. It says, Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can never ask too much. Are your prayers, are your requests, listen, are they worthy of a king? Because he's powerful, and he invites us to come, and he invites us to ask. And all I know is this, the king answers prayer. So why don't you and I ask? So so when you pray, when you come to God, you you are coming to a king. But listen to me, he's more than a king to you as a believer. He's also a father. He's a father. When Jesus taught us how to pray, he said, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven. So God, the perfect Father, answers our prayers according to his character. God, our King, answers prayers according to his power. God, our Father, answers prayers according to his character. Look what it says back in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verse 9 Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So here's what Jesus is doing. He's appealing to the character of God. He's saying, listen, earthly fathers, as imperfect as they are, one of answer their children's requests. They want to do good to their children. They want to do good for their children. They want to do right by their children. So, so, so most earthly fathers, even as they are imperfect, want to bless their child. And Jesus says, your father in heaven is perfect. And he desires to answer you in a way that is best for you. So as you come to the Father, you can trust his power and you can trust his character, right? My five-year-old daughter began to ask at the beginning of the summer for a fish. 
And I resisted. I didn't want another pet. We have a dog. That's enough. But I, I resisted. Now, I was just thinking this is just something that she'll forget about. So we kind of put her off a little bit. But she kept asking for fish. And so we said, okay, listen, we have, we have a lot of travel this summer. We're going to be going to a lot of different places. And so after kind of the travel time and, and things kind of settle back in, then we can talk about getting a fish. Well, guess what? After our last most recent trip, she immediately said, time for a fish. <laughs> time for a fish. And I mean, it's not something she forgot about. Her intensity grew wanting a fish. And so guess what? I was at Petco yesterday. <laughs> and, and not only did we leave Petco with one fish and one tank, we left with two fish and two tanks. <laughs> because Caleb wanted one too. And so now I didn't even want any fish. Now we got two fish in the house. Now listen, you are looking at an imperfect father. Love my family, love my kids, but I, I don't always do the right thing. I'm, I'm not always, always the, the father I need to be. I fail and I falter and, and I mess up and I blow it. But it's hard when your kids are saying, I want to fish, to say, no. You want to you wanna bless them, don't you, as a, as a father. How much more? Listen, how much more does our perfect father in heaven desire to bless us in response to our requests. When you come to God the Father, you can trust His power and you can trust His character. And so Jesus makes prayer available and the Father invites us to come and ask Him for things. But here's the third part of prayer. The Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, helps us to pray. It says over in Ephesians... 2.18, we have access through him, the Son, to God the Father in or by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit is one who helps us to come to God and and take advantage of that access by prayer. Over in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, the Bible encourages us to put on the full armor of God, which I believe means to stand in the realities of the gospel. And listen to what it says over in Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 14, I'm sorry, verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? It simply means we are praying in the power of the Spirit. To pray in the Spirit is to pray with the Spirit's help. So when you pray to God the Father through the Son, you are getting the help of the Holy Spirit. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? And we need His help. We need His help to pray as we ought to. Because the Spirit gives us the power to pray fervently. You ever found, found yourself praying and you're kind of saying the same old things about the same old things? And your prayer life is kind of dry and, and stale and you, you don't find a, an excitement about going to your prayer closet or being on your knees or talking to God in prayer. It just, it's, it's just kind of a, a religious step that you're taking, but there's no excitement and fervency Ask the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you to help you. And he will give you a fervency and a power in prayer like you've never experienced before. And it gets even better. The Spirit even prays for you when you don't have the words. Look what it says over in Romans chapter 8 verse 26. Romans chapter 8 verse 26.
Paul writing to the church in Rome says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. You say, wait, how are we weak? We'll keep reading. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. And so Paul writing here says that we are weak when it comes to prayer. We don't always know how to pray or what to pray for. As a matter of fact, there are times in life where we will go through things so difficult, we don't even know how to pray. No words come. Have you ever been through something so difficult that you can't even form words? Well, look what happens. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Here's what that means. When you find yourself trying to pray and you don't have the words and you don't know what to say, the Spirit of God who knows the desires of your heart takes those desires and interprets those desires and turns them into a prayer and He Himself, the Spirit of God, offers that prayer to the Father on your behalf. How awesome is that? So when you are weak and don't even know how to pray, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead, goes to work to take the deep groanings of your life and the deep groanings of your heart and present them to the Father on your behalf. Because the Spirit knows how to pray, amen? And so the Spirit helps us to pray. So I hope you see here that the doctrine of the Trinity and and prayer, the practice of prayer, are inextricably linked you experience the triune God as you pray. But there's, there's a question I want to answer because you may have this question or have had this question before. And here's the question before we kind of wrap things up. Is it right to address Jesus or the Holy Spirit in prayer? Because I've told you that praying with the grain of Scripture is this. You pray to the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Spirit. You pray with the logic of mediation. You pray in a gospel-centered way. So is it okay to directly address Jesus or directly address the Spirit in prayer? Well, here's my answer to that. While the general biblical pattern is to pray to the Father through the Son by the Spirit, there are no biblical prohibitions against addressing the Son of the Spirit. In other words, the Bible doesn't say, don't talk directly to Jesus or don't talk directly to the Spirit. It doesn't say that. We're not prohibited. So we do have freedom to directly talk to Jesus the Son or directly talk to the Holy Spirit. For example, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, Christians are referred to those who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christians are characterized by calling on the name of Jesus. Think about Peter. Peter was in the boat, and the wind and waves were overcoming the boat, and the disciples were scared, and Jesus comes to them walking on water, right? And Peter's so overwhelmed by seeing Jesus walk on water, he says, call me to come to you, and Jesus come. And so, so Peter gets out of the boat and begins by the power of Jesus to walk on water. That's a cool deal, right? And, and, he, and he's walking on water, begins to look around at the wind and waves. He takes his eyes off Jesus, and he begins to sink. You remember what he said? Lord, save me. You know what that is? That's a prayer. Directly related or directly addressed to Jesus. So it's okay to talk to Jesus. Hey, by the way, some of your most powerful prayers can be one-word prayers or two-word prayers or three-word prayers. It is very profound to pray, Lord, help. Amen? That's profound. Help! And Peter's, Lord, help me. He, he, he directly addresses Jesus. Think about 
Revelation 22, the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. John is finishing up his, his description of what he had seen in visions. And he says this in Revelation twenty two twenty, Come, Lord Jesus. He's directly addressing Jesus in a prayer. Would you come soon, Lord Jesus? So there is some precedent for directly addressing Jesus in the Bible. Here's what's interesting. There are no examples that I know of of anyone directly addressing the Holy Spirit. You just won't find that in Scripture. But over in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, Paul speaks of the fellowship of the Spirit. The communion we have with the Holy Spirit, who is our paraclete. He he lives inside of us. He helps us in our Christian life. He comes along beside us. And so how can we have communion or fellowship with someone that we never talk to? So it's not beyond the realm of reason to think, if I'm going to live by the power of the Spirit, there are going to be times I address the Spirit directly. So for example... Ephesians 5.18 says that we are to be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. Be filled with the Spirit. So in obedience to that command, I often ask in my prayer life, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Would you empower me? Would you guide me? Would you help me? Would you work in me? I'm directly addressing the Spirit, asking Him to fill up my life in obedience to Ephesians 5.18. So there are times when you address the Son and the Spirit directly. I believe this is important, particularly when it comes to expressing our gratitude. If you read the Bible even a little bit about prayer, you'll see the importance of saying thank you a lot. Right? And so when you're expressing your gratitude, sometimes you want to talk directly to the one you're expressing gratitude for. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Right? Holy Spirit, thank you for your leadership in my life. Thank you for your power and your guidance. And in the context of gratitude, it it, it is edifying to directly address the Father, and to directly address the Son, and to directly address the Holy Spirit. So let me just sum up that, that thought with this. In the majority of our prayers, we should follow the normal pattern of prayer found in Scripture. To the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. But we should realize that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are persons, and it can be edifying to address them in prayer as well. John Piper says it like this, Let your normal, regular praying be prayer to the Father through the Spirit in the name of Jesus, but realize that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are persons, and to speak to them as a saved sinner would cannot be unnatural. And so, I hope again that you see this Trinitarian framework that, that is prayer. And here's how I would sum up this sermon. If I could give it to you just in summary form. Here's the point. Prayer is an incredible privilege that helps us to experience our triune God. If you told, listen to me, look at me for a moment. If you were able to communicate with a high priest that served Israel during the sacrificial system, and you were able to say to them, hey, guess what? I get to go in the Holy of Holies anytime I want to and stay as long as I want. They'd say, I don't believe that. No one has that kind of privilege. And you would be able to say, I don't deserve that privilege, but because of what Jesus Christ has done, I have that privilege. 
So prayer is an incredible privilege that helps us to experience our triune God. Let the incredible privilege of prayer motivate, listen, the consistent practice of prayer. Let the the, the incredible privilege of prayer motivate the consistent practice of prayer. Let this, this idea that we experience the triune God fuel your prayer life. And see what God does as you pray to your Father through the finished work of the Son, by the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit.